0: Hey, everyone, this is Mike Action. Uh, Hopefully you can hear me over the storm that's going. There's like thunder blast in my window right now. Um, So I'm coming to you from Nokomoto Auxiliary Studio South. Uh, Peter asked me to record. Um, He's asked me before a few times. um, And we've had we've had some pretty neat ideas before, but he's going on some trips. He's uh, he's going like he just drove through uh, Utah and sent me some cool pictures going through the salt flats. (laughs) acting like Peter, uh, and they're going off towards San Francisco. They are just having a, having a nice summer vacation. Uh, and he knew he couldn't record for a little while. Um, so he asked me to record some stuff and I was able to, cause one of his brothers, uh, ditch the other brother, the, the other one who's here in Colorado. Uh, he's been a guest on the show, like at least once. And when they all talked about dirt bikes, Um, but I call him a professional roadie. He works like in the events and uh, audio tech industry. And I asked him a couple of years ago, I was like, uh, Hey, I want to buy my wife a, um, a nice present. And she asked for a microphone. So what kind of microphone? And he recommended a blue bluebird SL, which is like, uh, if you're want to start spending some real money on a microphone, but you know, you're going to limit that real money to like 400 to 500 bucks. Uh, that was this microphone. So I was like, okay, I've got the equipment, you know, I've been on the show, like 12 times as a guest before, maybe something like that. So, okay, let's go for it. And so what I thought about doing was recording some segments on uh, motorcycle restoration, uh, because that's what I've been doing. I've ha- I have several motorcycles and none of them are like brand new with warranties. And so I've got to keep them running. And there's a number of times the boys have gone out where I'm like, uh, I've got to do this or that to my, you know, 20 year old motorcycle, my 40 year old motorcycle. And so I've just kind of gotten a little bit kind of into the science of of how a lot of these products work in the first place. And so I thought I'd bring a couple of things uh, to the table if if they're not too boring. So a bit about me, um, I've known Peter and Swiggy for like 20 years. Um, I was there when Peter bought his first motorcycle, or at least like the day after he bought his first motorcycle, um, which was a Nighthawk. In case you're wondering, a 1980, I think, a Honda Nighthawk. Then a few days later, uh, with a little bit of bourbon involved, uh, Pete convinced me to uh, to buy uh, my first motorcycle, which is a KZ550. It's a 1980. Kawasaki kZ550 LTD which I bought in Danville Illinois uh, and I still have Danville is famous for it puts on an ice tires competition like a spike ice like rally race like inside an ice rink that's sketchy as all hell um, so Danville Illinois everybody and we drove it back to southern Indiana to um, a little town called Columbus Indiana that's known for Cummins engine company uh, which is just how I know them is because their dad, is a former executive, I don't know, you'd have to ask them, at Cummins, was in the past, a number of years ago. So they, that's why they lived all over the world, is because of Cummins Engine Company. And so I still have that motorcycle, and so I've been fixing it up over the years. I moved to Pennsylvania for grad school, and uh, medical school actually, now I'm a doctor, uh, so I'm a busy guy. So while I was doing all that, I tooled around western Pennsylvania on the KZ for a few years, uh, even though I knew it needed some work, but it was still, yeah, it was it was roadworthy, but needed some work. Uh, and so, um, eventually in between residency and all this garbage, I eventually got a couple of days where I could, uh, open up the cover and get used to adjusting the valves and all that crap. And, uh, it's, oh, I loved riding around Western PA. Any of you who live in Pittsburgh, Eric Buell, who I'm going to talk about in just a split second. He's actually from, uh, I think like Cranberry area, like just North of Pittsburgh. Uh, and so I knew, Uh, before what comes next, I I knew about the same kinds of roads that I guess he grew up riding. I don't know. I don't know all that much about Eric's personal life. Um, But then in 2016, we made it out to Colorado and uh, the KZ needed a few adjustments, which uh, just turned out to be really air intake stuff. Um, But instead of just buying replacements, I kind of stubbornly tried to fix the parts that I already had, uh, which cost me like another three years of of riding around on it (laughs) um, because things went kind of slow for me. Uh, So what did I do right when we got out to colorado i bought the most practical reliable bike i could afford at the time right <laughs> no i'm just kidding i dropped two thousand uh, dollars for a buell it was a 2003 uh, xb9r firebolt uh, and gorgeous wonderful little bike crazy sports bike. Um, and I bought it from an engineer. And if you, if you've heard me talk on the show before, I've probably mentioned a couple of times, uh, that, that I've always thought it was really funny because this guy was graduating. I want to say he was graduating from Colorado school of mines, but he was graduating from engineer school. Um, and he had, when we went to go pick it up, Peter knew the guy from like some rallies he'd gone to up in the Greeley area. So they were like, Oh yeah, I've seen your face. Um, and this was before the guys had started their podcast. And uh, the guy had won a loud pipes competition with it because he because he totally trashed the muffler. He like cut the muffler in half and and hollowed it out and then soldered it back together. So it was the most loud, horrible <laughs> noise a motorcycle could ever make. And he'd also rattle can sprayed it red and black where it used to be that that beautiful like perfect Buell white and silver like that classic like the first year Firebolt. Um, that's the one that ended up on the posters. Like it that is the motorcycle to have. Uh, And I always thought it was neat that this bike designed by such a cool engineer, I bought from an engineer or a guy who is becoming an engineer. Um, And then it, uh, I rode that around. That was my main bike for a couple of years. And then it cooked up some electrical problems and started to become even less reliable than my KZ. Uh, So I started to dismantle it and I was like, Ooh, I'm going to refurbish this bike. And then the boys invited me out to Austin to go to Coda. Uh, which we did, and I was kind of between those two bikes. I was like, I don't really know if I have a, a bike that can make it 1,000 miles if we're going to ride. And he's like, oh, you can use my dad's bike, or we could do this, we could do that. And so I just dropped the cash on a second Buell. I bought an XB12X uh, 2006 Ulysses, and I literally rode it 1,000 miles, iron Butt style from Denver to Austin, like one week after I bought it. Uh, and it made it, um, but let me tell you guys, if you can avoid it, don't buy a new motorcycle like five days after you're going to go on a huge ride. Cause it, uh, uh, it had a few problems, which now I fixed and it's, it is now my most reliable motorcycle. And I go around all the time on it. And, um, and the thing I always love pointing out about that bike is that I bought the Yuli from another engineer. who <laughs> was graduating from engineering school and moving off to like California to start a company. Uh, and the thing he had done to it. Both of these kind of engineering <clears throat> students had uh, uh, done a couple of things they didn't. I didn't really like <laughs> to, to the bikes that I bought from them. Uh, the first one I already told you about, and that wasn't too big a deal because I uh, I could replace uh, the muffler that dude had hollowed out on the Firebolt. Uh, I'd say the the year I started working at it was probably the year before Buell parts went from being like. R- Slightly expensive to like, really difficult to get. Where there's like only one dealership in the country that can kind of reliably get you any of them, uh, and that's the um, the one in Twin Lakes, Minnesota. Uh, and so the My Ulysses, uh, what the guy had done was he'd put a couple of aftermarket parts on it. He'd put on some uh, um, some auxiliary headlights, which were kind of draining the battery more heavily than I realized, and then. Uh, and then he also put in some O2 sensors, um, which uh, he had just this rat's nest of wires in there under the seat, and we, it just kind of ignored them while we were riding. But then once I once we got back, I like soldered it all off and, you know, capped the ends and just threw out all this crazy wiring, got rid of that O2 sensor. And it's like the headlights became noticeably brighter and it stopped bogging down when I accelerated. And it's, it's kind of just worked perfectly ever since Uh, I took it to a little bit of clutch work on it. Um, But that's, that's really the extent to it. Otherwise it's just, you know, all the little things you go to maintaining an old bike. All right, so now I had three bikes sort of decently running, and just before I totally got my original 40-year-old KZ and gave it the final stamp of approval, I went out and bought a fourth motorcycle, which was a Stella Scooter. Absolutely identical in every way, same year, same color, uh, to the one that Swiggy had uh, that was sadly stolen um, shortly before we all left for uh, um, for mid-Ohio. Um, so now I have for motorcycles. And we took them to mid Ohio where we met up with Cleveland Moto and motorcycles and misfits. And so the last thing before I really jump into why I'm actually here um, is uh, none of you know this, but like three years ago, I made a YouTube video of me riding around Castle Rock on my Uli, just like talking about like the weather in my garden and Crap like that, uh, and saying a couple of things about my Buels that I, I, I already told you guys here. And in most ways, it was a pretty useless video. It was just more me testing my equipment than anything else. But then, just for shits, I started adding these really ridiculous, like, video and audio effects uh, where basically, like, the road started melting and I started hearing these voices around me all, like, six minutes into the video or something. Uh, and I showed it to Peter and he's like, Yes. And so now he's been asking me to bring that sort of stuff to the table, like, ever since. Uh, and when he asked me to record this stuff, I'm like, okay, but brace yourself because shit's gonna, about to get really weird. Uh, and you can find that stupid video I made if you want at a uh, uh, breakfast burrito nine five seven seven break spelled B R A uh, K E breakfast burrito on YouTube. Um, but I don't really know why any of you would want to. <laughs> I took like the loading music from Metroid Two and ran it backwards through an effects filter uh, like a child because uh, that's all I am. I guess a great big child. <laughs> So, okay, on to the first actual segment. Science. Science. Motorcycle. Science. Science. Okay, so chemically what's happening when you want to clean the surface of something? Uh, Well, in the case of vehicles, most everything that we're cleaning is going to have been coated in some sort of protective polymer anyway. Uh, Even the engine will often have a paint and enamel on it, especially for motorcycles. Uh, If you've got exposed metal surfaces, like from a scratch, Uh, Then that's this whole other can of worms, because now you're getting into pitted surfaces, and oil's getting sucked up into the pores of the metal itself like a sponge. Uh, If you've ever tried to take the enamel coating off a wheel before, which I don't recommend doing, uh, then you know that even the soap you clean it with, that bare metal, is going to leave this annoying spotty surface that's going to drive you crazy and not look clean at all. Um, There's a damn good reason these coatings are used, Uh, and even if you're trying to go for a polished bare metal look, you still need to coat it with something oil-resistant, or you'll get these ugly spots everywhere. Uh, So these enamels and paints and finishes, polishes that the bike already comes with have done most of the protecting job for you, and now all you really need to do when you clean it is to wash off that road muck that's eventually going to form like a little pit or hole in that protective layer and leave a damaged spot that won't buff out. Um, if, you, if you just never clean your, your car or your tank, that's what's going to happen eventually. Uh, you also need to wax it once it's cleaned because that's just putting back putting back on that wax just adds back that shiny surface that's getting scraped off and dulled. Even if you really can't see it, it's happening on a microscopic level by dust and road grit and rainwater, which naturally has all these mineral salts dissolved in it. Uh, your towels and rags can also cause these micro-abrasions, which is why microfiber cloths are the way to go. So, the science is not really as useful as just handing you, like, a playbook and saying, first do this, next do this, Uh, but I am a scientist, and I also explain weird concepts to lay people literally every time I work at the hospital, so... There's a few things happening when you want to clean the surface of something, Uh, but for the moment, let's just focus on two ideas. One is solvents, and the other is surfactants. The word surfactant just means surface active agent, that they're compounds that decrease the surface tension, that layer between two things is, right? The In, in your case, it's going to be water and the surface you're trying to clean, um, the surface of whatever crap you're trying to lift off into the water. Um, the surfactants affect the surface tension between those two things. When we talk about surfactants, we're using words like soap, detergent, emulsifier, foaming agents, sometimes dispersants, but that's more for, like, chemical cleanups, like oil spills and shit. So, going back to basic chemistry that anyone who graduated high school should remember seeing at least once, surfactant molecules have a head and a tail, the head part likes to be around water hydrophilic water seeking and the tail part hates being around water hydrophobic water avoiding and the forces are so strong and that's like instantaneously like a magnetic charge these things will point their heads directly at the water molecules and their tails directly away from them and the tails aren't just water avoiding they're also oil seeking lipophilic the tails like to point at oil and the heads like to point at water. Why do we care about this? Well, if you're literally putting the soap in water, then what happens is the trillions of little soap molecules will start pointing their tails together into microscopic balls of soap with the water-loving heads on the outside surrounding the water-avoiding tails. And chemists call these little spheres... micelles and the reason they're important is because now you have this little safe place for the oil to go once it's been picked up into the water, allowing oil and water to mix. So that's all you really need to know is that these little micelles are formed that allows the oil to be picked up into the water and sort of mix with the water. Without soap, you're just pushing oil around with water, and you're going to have a bad time. Um, but the micelles are like having oil molecules just enough like giving them just enough safe space that they become separated from the larger mass of oil to get carried away by the water and then all you have to do is scrub and froth it uh, and the cells become smaller and smaller until either all the oil is gone or you run out of surfactant and you end up with a dirty, sudsy foam where your water used to be. And we call that sudsy foam an emulsion. You've literally mixed two things together that aren't supposed to mix. For some reason, I always think of mayonnaise as your classic example of an emulsion, uh, but let's not forget that Brill Cream is a totally legit emulsion, too. Next up are solvents, basically things that dissolve other things. Uh, But I'll say one last thing about surfactants before moving on. Most commonly, surfactants are classified according to their polar head group. Non-ionic, anionic, cationic, or amphoteric. Um, We don't care about most of those things. There's also a bunch of stuff that I found fascinating because I'm a doctor, but has nothing to do with motorcycles. Um, Like, the surface of our lungs has surfactant in it. Bile salts have surfactant. Um, Some of the stool softeners we give are surfactants. Anyway, um, I brought up this distinction because we're beginning to get into this idea that different chemicals are used to clean up different things. It's easy to get into this chemistry nitty-gritty here where soap and solvent are sort of doing the same thing and messing with surface tension just becomes another way to dissolve something. But... We're talking about this more with solvents, so the only thing I want you to know here is that there are actually different kinds of surfactants that are better at picking up something based on its charge. Agents that increase surface tension are the exact opposite of surfactants. Even though they're literally also surface active, which is what surfactant means, they're making the cleaning job harder. And one thing that does this is salt. In fact, if something is dissolved, then adding enough salt will cause it to precipitate out of the solution. When chemists do this on purpose, they call it salting out the solution. This is the big reason that most surfactants are no bueno in seawater. Now, hopefully this goes without saying, right? Uh, Have you ever dropped your sunglasses in the ocean and then tried to clean them? Okay, dropping your sunglasses in the ocean is like a perfect example of problems you can get into when you're washing off a vehicle. Uh, Because rainwater, like seawater, has minerals dissolved in it. And maybe those minerals won't cause you any problems if you get them good and wet and good and soapy before you wipe them away. But any car or motorcycle that's been rained on will have dry minerals on its surface uh, that are left there after the water's evaporated. And what do dry minerals turn into? Mineral salts. And are salts soft and fluffy or are they sharp and jagged little rocks? They're sharp little gravel a-holes is what they are. So, is it a good idea to wipe your dusty, dirty car down with a dry cloth before you start spraying the water? Hells no. And salt is the reason why I made a point earlier that different surfactants are better at picking up differently charged particles, because most minerals are positively charged. Just remember that when I start talking about solvents, and maybe you'll be able to guess which ones are good for cleaning your motorcycle, like before I give you the answer. And uh, here's a hint, glass cleaner like Windex, which contains ammonia. Uh, might be a better choice for your tank's finish than aircraft paint remover. Okay, solvents. So, according to Wikipedia, a solvent, from Latin, "solvo" loosen, untie, solve, is a substance that dissolves a solute, resulting in a solution. Was that helpful, guys? Should I read it again? Okay, so different solvents, paint thinners, nail polish removers, solvents of glue, like acetone, detergents, like citrus terpenes, Uh, And then they talk about solvents in things like perfume to get that smell. uh, And that's usually the classic one is ethanol, which is alcohol. The numero uno distinction between types of solvents are polar versus nonpolar. Generally, polar solvents dissolve polar compounds best. Nonpolar solvents dissolve nonpolar compounds best. Hence, like dissolves like. So, things that are really, really polar, like salts and sugars, dissolve only in very polar solvents, like water. Water is a very polar solvent. So, good clean water just by itself is already going to do a lot for your bike. Uh, it matters whether the water is hot or cold. Of course, did you ever try scrubbing dishes in cold water? Uh, strongly nonpolar compounds like oils or waxes dissolve only in very nonpolar organic solvents like hexane. Uh, similarly, water and hexane—they're not miscible, meaning dissolvable, with each other, Uh, and neither are vinegar and vegetable oil. Uh, They will quickly separate out into two layers even after being shaken well. Okay, now, super-mega-polar solvents can be further divided into product and a-product. Product Product is for anions, water is a product solvent, a-product solvents such as acetone or dichloromethane, don't want to put that on your bike, they solvate positively charged. So, product, anion, a-product cation a- acetone so acetone is nail polish remover um so you're gonna mar up the surface of things if you use acetone on it all right so that's all the chemistry i really care to get into um do you guys know anyone who keeps a bottle of benzene in their garage <laughs> right for those deep engine scrubs oh fuck no uh, that category is pretty useless to us um maybe some mechanics have it around um product is most of the th- cleaning things we're going to use water ammonia isopropyl alcohol that's rubbing alcohol ethanol that's regular alcohol okay so now we're getting somewhere because these two categories are the cleaning products we actually reach for when we're going to clean our bike okay so that's the rundown on the science behind cleaners uh, and now I can get to the easy takeaway points that you can actually go and use on your motorcycle they are number 1 use a clean microfiber cloth even clean surfaces aren't really truly clean, and you can accidentally dole a paint job, even if you can't see the dirt that you're pressing down into that carnauba wax. Um, number two, use clean city water from your hot water tap. Even this has some minerals in it, especially if you don't have a water softener, or you live in, like, the Ohio River Valley. Uh, random fact here, Bourbon County, Kentucky gives us such excellent bourbon because of what the really, really fucking super hard water does for the edge right off that whiskey. Um, could you get even better results by using filtered water? Uh, yeah, some people absolutely swear by using filtered water, but, they, but only when rinsing, because the water used for washing is just going to mix with soap anyway. And you'd have to be in, like, Bloomington, Indiana, to find water so hard that the lime in it is frothing up, even with your soap. Um, God, I swear, the chemistry lab at IU was like this old limestone building and all the old faucets just had layer after layer of like white and green scale that just hopelessly became part of the sink because it would take a pneumatic drill to lift the stuff off. Uh, And every August when I went to Bloomington the hard water would like like it would coat my skin, my hair, my voice box with this like gross scratchy residue. Okay so uh, number three. Use soap and don't skimp on it. There's lots of car wash products that will do the job but since motorcycles are so much smaller, uh, you might not care to bust out your power washer or to buy a pre- specialty product, uh, in which case, Dawn Dish Soap, the blue stuff, thats it's your gold standard just plain damn soap uh, that doesn't have any scented allergenic shit in it and it's safe for putting on everything from a baby to your body work to cleaning test tubes. Um, I'm not receiving any kickbacks from Procter & Gamble. Yet. Alright, number four, if it doesn't dissolve in soap, it might dissolve in ammonia, aka glass cleaner. Uh, my wife also, she uses a lot of vinegar around the house, like vinegar mixed with water uh, and I'd probably rank vinegar as the weakest cleaner. Um, Vinegar and ammonia probably won't damage your surfaces, but from here on out I need to make a disclaimer. As the strength of the solvents increase, it will eventually damage your paint job or well, more likely it's going to damage whatever that shit is that's covering your plastic parts like on your instrument panel. Um, And glass cleaner could actually damage some of those things. Um, uh, isopropyl alcohol, that's rubbing alcohol. If it doesn't dissolve in pneumonia, it will probably dissolve in alcohol. This will definitely damage your plastics. Uh, number eight, and the last one, oils. Um, this is what I'll leave you with. This is the secret weapon. We don't think of oil as something that will dissolve things. I mean, oil is usually what we're trying to get rid of, but the right type of oil can get down into cracks and lift up all this shit that's eluded you before, and without damaging your surfaces. So I know some guys who get into restoration and they'll, they'll talk about like some weird product that they use. And they are like, this is the best polish ever. This is the, my best secret cleaner ever. And it's something like, like triple antibiotic ointment, you know? And they're like, it's the secret. Uh, and one is probably just that the oil is like, if you buff anything that's oily into the surface of something, it's going to shine up, um, and the other part of it is probably the dissolving bit. Um, so I don't know, guys, uh, if some of you want to try to use triple antibiotic ointment on your tank and let me know how it looks, then uh, then write, write an email to the show. So then what do I recommend? Good old petroleum jelly. This stuff has another excellent use as does this whole concept of things being lipid-soluble. Um, but I'm going to save that for my next segment, uh, where we leave cleaning products behind and talk about that mysterious section at the auto store, which is restoration products, because I've made a few discoveries that, for me, were just like, whoa, breakthroughs. Like, wow, why didn't anyone explain it this way? Um, so uh, you, that's it, guys. You might not have found this one all that useful, a little science-heavy. Um, none of the none of the others. We're, we're kind of leaving most of the science behind us now. But that's where to start when you want to think about cleaning your motorcycle. Science. 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 Motorcycle. Science. Science. Science.